following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, welcome to Artisan Church. My name is Mike, and uh, one of the guys who's in charge of stewarding June for you. Um, So Pastor Scott has um, um, just started his journey through Spain on his sabbatical and has left the reins to all of us. And that's super fun because that means we get to get weird. Um, So um, in June, what we're going to be investigating is um, something that for some of us might be really natural, just a natural behavior for others of us, completely awkward, and that's very okay. We're going to be looking at songwriting. We're going to be looking at, um, at how we decorate time. Uh, I stumbled on this quote, actually, my mother texted it to me. Um, um, she saw it and she thought it was cute and she thought of me and it instantly like spurred my imagination. It said, art is how we decorate spaces. Music is how we decorate time. And I thought that's really cool. That is a uniqueness amongst uh, the human creation that we actually decorate time. We mark our time. And we can all think back to that time when, uh, when maybe we were going through something fantastically awesome or something fantastically horrible, and there was that song on the radio. And every time you hear that song, you're instantly transported to that time. Or um, for, for me, I can... Don't think less of me, but it was 1990. Um, the, the song Silent Lucidity by this band Queensryche. It was on MTV all the time. And, and I had this... Oh, yeah, you're all judging me. Um, and I just... Every time that song comes on, I am instantly 15 again. You know? And I'm instantly pining and just an emotional wreck. And it's, it's the way we mark time. And so one of the things that we're going to do here at Artisan um, as we spend the summer looking through our values of awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice is we're going to take a look at expressing that through song and how that works and hopefully move us all a little bit from being simply consumers of music, passive participants, to understanding that regardless of our... um, our innate talent level, we can all in some ways be producers of that music as well. So um, over the next four or five weeks, we're going to be doing some different things. Um, So as you come into the the sanctuary, be excited that each week's going to be a little different, and that's kind of fun. Um, This week, we're going to be kicking it off um, with my friend, the Reverend Matt Nikoloff. um, who will be um, um, bringing the, the, the first kind of capstone message about um, this series and about how we decorate time. So I welcome Matt up. Yes? Okay, great. <laughs> People kept asking me for slides and like stuff like two or three weeks ago, and I'm like, 
two or three weeks is a long time to get ready for a sermon. <laughs> and, I, and, that, and then this morning, of course, as we're warming up, I'm like, I just thought of 20 slides we should have on here. Um, but I, I appreciate what Mike said, because when we talk about the topic of music, it's, it's this thing that I think if we all are honest with ourselves, is one of the most important parts of our lives, and for all the reasons that Mike describes. And tragically, it's also one of the most painful and divisive things in the body of Christ sometimes, right? Whether because of genres and traditional versus contemporary, or liturgical versus evangelical, or because some people are really good at singing and showing it to the rest of the church, and other people feel like, I don't belong because I don't know the words to this song, or I'm not a very good singer. Um, it can unite us, it can um, drive us into ecstasy, into this deep experience of God and communion in one another, and it can also uh, really touch on some deep wounds for us. Um, In some ways, music and the church is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us for experiencing what Jesus got to experience in Jesus' incarnation, which is the fullness of our humanity. And in going deep into the fullness of our material, bodily, and spiritual realities, paradoxically, but also um, miraculously, we start to experience a little bit of what it's like to be God, to creating um, and participating and being part of a community of song together. So as a caveat right away, and Mike already said this really wonderfully, but um, I'll be drawing, um, at least in this initial kind of orientation or um, broad survey view of church and music and worship and all sorts of stuff that I'm not very good at articulating because for me, music is just something that's in me. This is why I'm not a music teacher. Like, I, I don't know how to articulate it very well. Um, I just know how to do it. Um, I'll be speaking from a very Anglo-Saxon, you know, white person, uh, Lutheran, Episcopalian, liturgical kind of background. And I'll be talking about certain types of music that have meant something to me. And I don't want that to seem like that's normative or that those are the only ways to do music or that a certain talent level or a certain engagement is the only way to experience music. It's just part of what's beautiful about music is we each have our own voice that we bring to the mix. But in, in saying that, at least for this week, I don't want it to seem like I'm advocating for or preferencing or saying that, like, say, 17th century German organ music is clearly better than, like, 21st century guitar music because it's not better or worse. They're just different, right? Um, uh, contemporary and traditional are these categories that I think commercial properties foist on us to try to make money off of us and to divide us rather than to unify us. Um, music is meant to be a gift from God to unify us. So if you're not a good singer, um, in your own mind anyway, or if you're someone who like, thinks that your style of music doesn't belong in a place, like, um, that's okay. What I want for each of us to own is not that we're all here to become expert musicians or become experts about music, because certainly um, if you can understand half of what I'm trying to say, then that's awesome. If something touches you in your heart and you take it in a different direction, great. Our goal is not to dictate what right worship should look like. I think anytime a church starts saying that, then you should be really weary of that church's declarations, like Mike said earlier. What I hope is that each of us can take at least a step into awareness of how music operates within us, how we participate in worship here, and hopefully take a step, it could be a tiny, teeny, tiny step or a big step, in the direction of being more fully able to be present to and engaged with the gift of music in our worshiping life, right? Because music is one of these things we just assume about church, right? Like, the reason I'm still in church is because of music. Like, that's why, I come, that's why I come to church. It's why I kept going to church as a kid, was singing in the choir and getting to sing these really amazing four-part harmony hymns to the organ and then getting to uh, share my trumpet playing 
um, as part of the offertory sometimes, and getting to sing with older people in the choir that made me feel like I belonged and had a place in church. And not just that I had a place in the audience, but that my voice uh, was participating in creating the community and helping to contribute to it and being a participant, right? Excuse me. Um, so I hope that all of us can at least ask ourselves, what role does music play for me in my church life? If it's, a, if it's a difficult role and you're often one of those people who feels like you're not good enough to sing and you're always trying to hide behind the 250 other people around you so that nobody can hear you, I hope that you can feel affirmed that no matter what sounds you're making, you're worshiping and that that sound is beautiful and glorious to God when it comes from our hearts, when it is an act of worship and when we give that gift to the community. And for those of us who really value like perfection and awesome music and everything being really polished, I hope we can take a direction in seeing that sometimes the most beautiful music is not perfect harmony, but it is inclusive participation. It is bringing together the many voices of the people of God to image God's trinity in these very particular bodies, voices, and presences that are gathered together. So the purpose of music is, as a community, at least in worship, is to, as a community, to both image God's being and God's delight in us, And it's also for us to anticipate what God's delight in us will look like at the end of all things. So rather than opening with a prayer as we get into that, and I hope that that caveat's enough to say that this whole series is not about trying to um, advocate a particular position on music or to try to judge anybody's music, even if it's the kind of music you really hate. It's more about music itself and how music uh, enables us to participate in creation, in ourselves, in each other, and in God in some really beautiful ways um, rather than, in, than um, opening with a prayer, I'd love to have us try out a chant together. It's a really simple chant. Um, I think, I don't know if Scott's done it here before. I know if you've come to the mission at Southwood Mission with me before, we've done this because we open every worship service with it. But it's just from a Bible verse. It's uh, be still and know that I am God. Okay, so can everyone say that? Be still and know that I am God. And I'll do a little chop because each time we sing through that phrase, we're going to chop out a few words until we get down to just the word be. So be still and know that I am God, be still and know that I am, be still and know, be still, be, all right? So just if, if you can't remember that, or if you haven't done it before, watch for the chop. Just sing on a single note. I'll give you the note. Um, and honestly, it doesn't matter if you can even tell what note that is. If you're tone deaf, you can still participate in music, all right? Um, in some ways, if, if you don't think you belong, it's important because other people might realize how much important it is for them to listen to you and incorporate you. But the point of this is not to sing perfectly. It's to commune with God and with one another. It's a way of experiencing scripture prayerfully and musically in a way that's different, not necessarily better or worse than, but different than just reading it, right? Um, It engages not just our minds, but our whole bodies, our whole souls, our whole beings. Um, So, be still and know that I am God. We'll sing it through three times like that with all the the reductions. We're going to do it again at the end, okay? So this is just a practice round if you need it, but it'll help us to center. Um, And in this first time, the first time through, we'll sing it on a single note, On the second time through, feel free to add, like, some harmonies if you're the kind of person who likes to do that kind of thing. And the third time through, do whatever the heck you want, okay? But the only only caveat is listen to one another. Don't show off. Try to participate. Uh, Imagine yourself as part of a body rather than as somebody just trying to get it out there. And let's see what happens, okay? It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just about participation. So, and if you don't think you're a good singer, there's plenty of people here to to mask you, so no one will hear you, all right? (laughs) Um, So the note we'll just do is we'll pick a note, uh, do, do, everyone sing that note, do. Ready? Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm 
that's still going through the space. So we all just worshipped. And we just all sang. And we just all made a song. that We didn't need any music. We didn't need a band. We didn't need a, um, anything more than a simple line of scripture and the voices of people present and a willingness to just let ourselves listen and to create. And how did that feel? Thoughts? Yeah, it's pretty good, right? I see some thumbs up. Um, it, it, it feels nice to feel like your body resonating and vibrating and kind of just part of something bigger than ourselves, right? There's all sorts of research that shows that when we sing in community, just the act of breathing together and, and being tuned into one another actually aligns our heartbeats together, right? It actually forms the body of Christ into a more of a unity with all its diversity and all the different hearts and different experiences and different voices into this, um, this unity, which isn't uniformity, but it is a, it's a willingness for once in our lives to come together and make something together and to create something together. And what's really cool about music, the reason we even bother with music in worship is not just because it sounds cool and because it makes us feel all sorts of things and it's fun to dance to and it's fun to play, but because the vision of um, like heaven that we often hear about right, in, in people's popular culture and in the Bible is of people singing, right? You got the angels with their lyres and like people singing, heavenly, heavenly choir, right? We sing all about that. But I was unaware until I was a little older that every single week in my very liturgical Lutheran um, congregation, during communion every week, we were actually reminding ourselves of kind of the goal, the home place that we're journeying towards, and the kind of community we're trying to create together on earth. Because if you've ever grown up, if you've ever gone to a more liturgical church where, you know, they, during communion, they say, like, the Lord be with you. Okay, some of you have been there, right? right? And then lift up your hearts, lift not to the Lord, all that stuff. And then the pastor kind of babbles about something. Usually it's trying to remind us of something about the day. But then we sing a song, right? And the song goes, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, right? Um, that's, that's not just something we made up to, sound, to have something fun to sing in church. It's actually a quote both from the book of Isaiah... When the prophet Isaiah is taken up into the throne room of God and sees that not only is God up in heaven, but God's, um, the train of God's robe enters into the world through the temple. 
And they're singing there. There's, people, there's angels and beings singing this song, this holy, holy, holy. And then again in the book of Revelation, um, the, uh, the John the Revelator, right? He sees that same, um, that same song that is bringing people together around the throne of God. And so when we sing together in church, whether we're using those exact words or whether we are um, singing a song that brings us all together in that way, we are not only participating in, but we're also practicing for and beginning to create together an image on earth of what paradise, of what unity, of what fulfillment, of what peace looks like, of what shalom looks like, where everything is brought together into a perfect relationship and balance, where every single particularity is honored for who and what it is, and yet can be fully itself in unity with others. So when we sing, have you ever thought about that? We're not just singing in order to kind of relax from the week. We're not just trying to, you know, um, feel good. We're not just trying to get through the words because whoever the worship leader that day decided to pick it and we better sing it fast so we can get to the songs we like. <laughs> Although sometimes that's how it works, right? Um, we're actually practicing what it's like not just to be in heaven but to also participate in heaven on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that the participation we have on this earth has to look like perfect harmony and perfect um, uh, performance and perfect uh, execution of notes, right? Um, But it is to acknowledge that, like, in heaven there is music, at least as the scriptures kind of portray it to us, which isn't surprising because many, many different um, authors and poets and writers throughout history have also posited that the world and creation and material things began through music. One of the lectionary texts today, which I should have put on the slide, (laughs) is the last chapter of Revelation, which talks about how Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, right? And at the beginning and the end of all things is this music. At the beginning of all things, if you look at like the cosmic background radiation, which is still, um, again, I'm not a scientist, I'm wearing my NASA shirt, but that's just to pretend like I know about space. Um, There's actually vibrations which are still echoing throughout matter, and scientists have begun to figure out computer-modeled ways to capture some of the sounds which are actually still vibrating through the whole earth. Vibrations going through matter which give us a distant echo, an image of the Big Bang, of the moment when creation began. And so, like, there's music. It might not be music that we recognize, but it's a vibration. Music is a wave. It's a vibration that moves through matter. It is not this abstract thing that's divorced from our materiality, but it's something that actually brings our body into communion with nature and with creation, with the way things are. The ancient Christian authors called this the spermatikos logos, or the seed of the logos, this part of the image of God that's still actively growing and living and being created through us. These like good vibrations that like the Beach Boys talk about, right? Um, the reason those good vibrations feel so good is because whether we attribute that to a divine being, you know, snapping God's fingers and creating something, or whether it's just the way that things are vibrating and the string theory and all that stuff to make sure that matter doesn't implode, like there is music in its primitive form in material reality. Western philosophy began partly through a meditation on the ways that harmony and frequency and pitch and things fit together, basically by meditating on like the planets and meditating on natural phenomenon in nature. Well, that's right. Um, and, and this guy Pythagoras back in the day was like, yeah, Pythagorean theorem, right? It's all about math, right? But they were like, how is math and music, this kind of irrational thing and this very rational thing, fit together? How can we dive deeper into material reality through our study of music? And, of course, Pythagoras influenced Plato, who influenced St. Augustine, who influenced the best theologian of all time, Martin Luther, who influenced some other people who came after him. 
um, to our very day where we're still trying to contemplate like, how does music and this experience of it um, educate us and inform us, but also draw us into deeper participation with the physical world. So we are materially and physically bound to one another through music. So even if you don't know how to sing, even if you don't know how to make that vibration within you into something that people can call music in certain circles, like you are music. God's music is singing through you. Just like C.S. Lewis, right, in that book, The Magician Nephew, shows Aslan, who is Jesus in this story, right, um, stinging the world into being and things popping up in response to Jesus' song, the beginning of all things is a kind of music and it continues on. And so when we tap into that part of ourselves, we're not just kind of getting groovy and making some cool noises or some not-so-cool noises, but we are actually reminding ourselves that we are created beings, that we participate in the cosmos, that Christ's creation links us to all things, not just to ourselves and our emotions and our heads, but to our bodies and to our whole being. And throughout the history of the church, this idea that music and science were linked together was sometimes used as a way to educate people about content, right? Because as soon as like Christian theologians got a hold of this stuff, they're like, great, music can educate. And it not only educates us about nature, but we can use it to educate people about doctrine, right? That, um, that Sanctus, that holy, 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 I said, is a Bible verse that I happen to know by memory, even though I never did a sword drill in my life, because every single week in church, we sang it. Uh, When I first met my wife, Leah, who grew up evangelical, she used to diss me because I didn't read the Bible every day, but I could rattle off all these Bible verses I didn't even know because I sang them every week, right? Created me a clean heart. Um, Holy, holy, holy. All these things that we sang and we said and we did in our liturgy, our form of musical worship in our tradition. Um, What happened in the church, though, right, is that even though music can be educational and the content of hymns and the content of uh, music teaching us, us about science can be really fascinating, and that's all good stuff, right? It's good to know about material reality. Is there was a few people, like my good buddy St. Augustine, who said, you know, music's great, but we can't trust the emotional part of music too much. Because it, we should really, if, if the musical part of music is too distracting, then it's better to just have words. Because music can be very dangerous. Because not only does it link us into information and help us connect with the created nature of the universe and ourselves and like kind of commune with all things and be super groovy, it also opens us up to emotions and feelings about nature and feelings about these doctrines and feelings that sometimes we're not even aware of in ourselves, right? There's an um, educational dimension to music. There's a formative that forms our minds and forms our sense of ourselves. But there's also a sense of music that can influence and even form our emotions, And so for a long time, and actually I would say for the majority, if not the entirety of church history up until this day, this debate of like, should music just be about content or about emotions? Should music be about teaching the gospel or should it be about making people feel things about the gospel? Should it be stuff that only has content from scripture or can we kind of sing about other things and even use other music that elicits spiritual emotions in us as part of our worship? Here at Artisan... As at the mission, we tend to think that you can do both, right? That there's a, there's a reconciliation of the two that sometimes emotions can teach us and sometimes we need to let our emotions free us, right? But just think about all the debates in church history, whether we should use the organ or not was a big debate because the organ included all this extra stuff, not just the words. And suddenly people were like, that organ player is like really awesome. And suddenly they started paying attention to the awesomeness of the organ player rather than to the actual music. And if you're a musician, you know that you kind of like how that feels when people are paying more attention to you and then to the music. And so it became very easy for church musicians to think that they were participating in this mysterious sacrament of music and to start to say, yeah, it is all about me. Watch me jam and solo and be awesome and like 
Y'all have been part of churches like that, right? Where the worship leader thinks that they're God's gift of the community rather than presenting God's gift of the community back to God. I've done it before as a worship leader. It's very hard. There's a lot of power, right? Emotions can connect us to God in interesting ways, but they can really isolate us from God and from other people too. Especially if we are trying to manufacture or force particular emotions on our community, right? Usually in the form of everybody feel happy now. Everybody feel like you're worshiping God right now, right? It's not that much different than saying everybody believe the same things about this content that I'm teaching you, right? Music can be used to manipulate people, and it has been used to manipulate people, just like the content of doctrine can. Does that mean that we get rid of instruments in church, and that we only sing psalms, and that we reject all forms of creativity because of the dangers implicit in it? Of course not. But it's important to be aware of that, right? Just as we're aware of the content of the music that we're worshiping to, and what those things are saying about us, and about God, and about our community, and about our world, we can be aware of how emotions teach us, and how our music is forming us as a community to feel about God, about ourselves, about one another. Um, at some point, music can be normative for a community in ways that communities don't even realize because it is so powerful. What we sing about, how we sing about it, um, who we include in the singing of it, all say things about what we believe about God, about creation, about ourselves, and about community. It's kind of a heavy weight, right? Like, we don't want music to be that heavy. We want it to be enjoyable. But hopefully we can start to be aware of those things. What's going on when we sing? Not so we can become distracted from the pleasure of music, but so we can continue to ask, what exactly is happening to me? And will I be aware of it? And will I have intention around it? Or am I going to let it continue to form me? Those are questions we can wrestle with. And one of the ways that I think that we can wrestle with this kind of thing is by opening the music that we share into the community and not just making it the property of the worship team or the worship planners or the people performing that day, which is not a diss on anybody because my experience of worship here and other places that it's very very awesome. This is not a diss to the worship teams here. But as people who are very much participants and producers of the music, we need to also ask ourselves, what is going on in our community? What is the true voice of God, the spirit that, as Romans 8 says, is groaning from deep within me? The spirit of creation and of the world which is groaning from the very deep parts of our soul, through our bodies, through our minds, and through our um, our relationships. And what is that music asking us to sing about? What emotions are not being included in the regular lineup of worship music that we use? What um, questions... And what revelations about God are we avoiding because we're only singing about certain things, right? Or what things excite us? What visions do we have that we want to express that maybe haven't been expressed yet? Um, Again, my wife Leah was just saying she's never heard a worship song about curiosity before. I haven't heard one that I can remember. I mean, there's certainly curiosity within certain songs, right? There's emotions about that. But helping us as a community to meditate on the question of curiosity, It made me want to think, well, how could we create a song that way, right? Rather than just assuming the worship team or the Christian radio artists on the radio or the composers or the chorale people are going to make that song for us, how can we listen deeply and say the same music that created the universe is stirring within me as part of this body in which we're all resonating together with these strange new harmonies? And how could we call forth that question to make music that reflects this community right here, right now? It's not to say we shouldn't ever use other people's music, because frankly, they often make way better music than some of us can come up with. 
It's not to say we shouldn't let other people's emotions influence us. Because one of the amazing things about music, right, is that it enables us to develop empathy. It helps us to work out new emotional dimensions of our being that we might not be very comfortable with, right? I might not feel very good about singing about doubt, but when we sing about songs about doubt, even if that's not a part of my journey, I can start to feel what it might be like to doubt as someone else. And then I can have empathy and compassion on my fellow members of the body of Christ, right? So if there's a song that you don't enjoy, think that it might be a way to, for you to enjoy your brothers and sisters and community more deeply, even if in that moment that song doesn't like tickle your fancy as much, right? But how can we as a community start to draw forth the songs that are stirring within our own hearts, the movings of the spirit that are happening? Because on any given day, right, there's what, 150, 200 people here right now? When we say that creed, when we sing each of their songs, there's not one theology in this room. There's not one emotion in this room. There's not one individual, like, monolithic experience of music in this room. There's a diversity of stories formed by our bodies, formed by our minds, formed by our spirits, formed by our stories. And part of music is that it can taint all of us together. But it's also a shame if we don't allow those voices to speak and rise up out of the people, to be aware of who we are so that we can also make sure that our music and our worship doesn't just reflect all the things that are great about God, but also all of the things that God is doing through the people here. So one of the things we want to do through this um, next couple weeks in this series is to try to listen deeply. I love that our, um, our other lesson that um, Jesse spoke about today was about Lydia, and it says she listened, and God spoke to her. When we listen to one another and we take seriously the music, the songs, the experiences, the stories that people within the diversity of the body of Christ are speaking, we take them seriously enough to say, that's important for the rest of us to hear. How could we make that experiential? Not just through a sermon or through like, um, the regular things we do, right? like social justice or activism or praying or things, but also through our music. How can we add that to our palette of ways that we as a community reflect the body of Christ? and reflect the full humanity of Jesus? How do we compose our own set of artisan psalms, right? To quote the title of the thing. The book of Psalms is amazing. It's the longest book in the Bible. And it's not just a collection of nice things that we get to say about God. It is a compendium of human experience expressed through music about what it's like to be a human being searching after being in relationship and sometimes being let down by God. The Psalms don't need to exhaust our musical capacity, but they give us an invitation to say, what is the fullness of humanity that's present here? If we were to compose our own Psalter, if we were allowed to the, the music that's speaking from within us to be expressed by this community, what Psalms would we write? I mean, you already have a book of artists and Psalms, which is great, so we could just open that up and look at it. Um, but what I want to say is, even if you're not a poet or a musician, you have an artisan psalm within you by being part of this community. If we were to write a psalter of 150 different experiences of God and then put them somehow to music, one for each person in this room, we'd have a book of psalms, right? It would be just as long as the 150 or 151 psalms in the Bible. But we need to listen deeply to the music that's happening within us. We need to listen deeply to the music that's happening in our brothers and sisters around us. We need to listen deeply to the music or the disharmony or the dissonance that's happening in the world around us and either express it with gratitude or sing about it in protest and with prophetic rage sometimes about the brokenness and the injustice and the struggles that are visited upon the body of Christ and all those that we care about. So this Artists in Psalm series will be a chance for us to start listening deeply to our own experiences. The things that God is bringing into the cosmic harmony of everything. The things that God will eventually include, not only in the final feast of singing that will happen in the end of all time, but also that God is trying to seed and to coax forth and to co-create through you, your experience, 
You're living deeply into your humanity. You're living deeply into the ways that your own soul and the vibrations within you are creating music with God that you're not even aware of yet is helping to co-create a picture of heaven right here on earth. It's helping us to be the body of Christ and also to start to understand a little bit more about what God is like. I don't know if you think about that when you're worshiping or if you're just like, this song is cool and I'm having a fun time, right? But it's so cool because you don't need to know all that stuff to enjoy it. The the fact that you're enjoying it means that all that stuff is happening, whether you're aware of it or not, right? Um, That song that we sang before the sermon, as I I go to close, is a song that, as you probably saw from the thing, uh, the, the screen, that thing, uh, that I wrote, right, for my community. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I had to change the words around a little bit so that it fit the music. That's just a quote by a, an ancient Christian theologian named St. Irenaeus. And that's a quote that means a lot to me. It reminds me that when I am fully alive, that's when I'm glorifying God. Not when I'm being miserable, not when I'm letting other people tell me who I am, not when I'm neglecting the things that God is trying to bring forth in me, but when each human being is fully and completely who they are in God and can be freely that person without any judgment and without any shame and without any limitation that comes from the world, God is glorified. I was taught growing up that God is glorified when we have the right ideas about God or the right feelings about God or the right music about God or the right worship. But worship is when we allow ourselves to become like Christ, fully human, fully immersed into the whole spectrum of what it means to be human, including the hard stuff as well as the joyful stuff the sorrows as well as the joys. So I I took that that quote that means a lot to me and has helped me to direct my church and said, we should be singing that. I'd like to sing it. It's a song I'd like to sing, you know? So maybe I can share that with the community and see if it takes, right? And what's really cool about that song is not only then when we sing it, do I hope that it's a song that people take pleasure from, but it's also a song where we get to learn this really ancient quote from an ancient theologian that probably most of us never knew existed and could care less if we did exist, right? Whose name is also St. Irenaeus, which means peace. So to me, that song is a vision of peace. God's children, all fully alive, gathered together, able to sing it. Um, But the cool part about that song is there's a story behind it too, right? How it came into being. Because the the original music, which I think I played here with Scott like a year ago, the last time I preached here, was not the music that you heard today. It's more of like a folk punk song because I I, I was really inspired by my good friend Tim Avery and his folk punk music that he used to write. And he's someone who taught me about being fully alive through music. And so it was probably influenced by being in a relationship with Tim that brought that music to add to the lyrics that came from this ancient dude, St. Irenaeus, like 2,000 years ago, and it turned into this song. And I enjoy playing it, but notice that, you know, just like much of the music that Tim and I make together, it's not always easy for other people to sing. So we sang it here, but then what's so amazing is I brought it into one of my communities of faith. And it seemed like some people enjoyed it, but then Mel took it and turned it into something a little different that is actually way easier to sing, and I actually like a lot better than the version that I came up with because it's, it's a little more meditative than just like kind of this bombastic folk punk thing, right? And so we're able to sing it. And so by bringing that offering into the community and then allowing other people to bring their experiences to bear on it and trusting that in a mutuality of respect and intimacy that music can grow into something that the whole community can enjoy, like creation happened, Right? That was, I, could be, I could be like, that was my song. You don't get to touch that song. Like, it's supposed to be this way, but it's like in the church when we trust and we're part of a community where the fullness of our humanity is respected, honored, and valued and brought into conversation, and you can tell we're not just talking about music at this point, right? We're talking about being church, which is what music is really about for us in some ways. That, that can become something new. And who knows? Like, now I'm going to take that back and I'm going to change it some more and it's going to become something different. And then we even added DC Talk into it, which if you're from the 90s, you know, is like not something I imagined happening in that song, but it's so cool, right? Because rather than seeing it as my thing, I see it as like this offering I give to the body of Christ. 
And you have an offering like that within you too. It might not be a musical offering in the sense that it sounds like a song and it goes up on the screen and it has like notes to it. But the song that you are singing, the verses that God is creating for you, the parts of the cosmic vibrations, the cosmic background radiation, which is also the spirit groaning from deep within your soul, too deep for words sometimes, that is not only valuable, but it is an expression of God's creative love trying to say something into the world that could possibly give life to others. Which is why we need to listen deeply to what God is saying within us. Ironically, in order to discover the music that's within us, we also need to embrace music's best friend, which is silence. When we listen deeply to the ways that the Spirit is groaning within us and saying, this needs to be heard. This is who you truly are in me. And if the world or the church or yourself is not enabling that self of yours to be free and to be true and to be expressed in whatever form it takes, then you need to speak up. And we need to listen. If you have a vision that's helping this community move in a new direction towards new visions of justice or new visions of joy and delight, new ways of enjoying and celebrate one another, please share it. Make sure you're listening deeply because God might be trying to sing something into being right here, right now. And just because you don't have a guitar or a bass or a screen or a microphone doesn't mean that you don't have a part in proclaiming the gospel of what God is doing here. One of the great lies that is told to the church through music again and again is that it's only if you're really good at music that your voice matters. Or if the content of what you say sounds really Christian, then your voice matters. It's another form of salvation by works. If you have the right kind of music, then your church is good. If you have the right theology, then that hymn is good. If the emotions you're feeling right now somehow conform to what everybody else is feeling, then you're a good Christian. And we know that that's not how God sees us. God says, they should be listening to what I am saying through you. Because just like Mary, with that amazing song, the Magnificat, which talked about casting down the mighty from their thrones, of God delighting in the littlest of people, the most forgotten and neglected um, members of society, and singing forth this song, which frankly is probably the most recognizable song in the Bible, other than some of the Psalms, right? We don't remember anything that Paul really says most of the time, but we remember Mary's words, right? And it continues to drive us forward in proclaiming justice, peace, love, and acceptance. When we listen deeply to God speaking in us, and we are willing to listen to how God is speaking to others, that's how we as a community orient ourselves to the Psalms that God is composing in us. So I would like us to, as we close, not only continue to ask ourselves, what is the role that music plays in my life? But also, how can I listen more deeply to the spirit that is groaning too deep for words within me? Even if it doesn't come out as a song lyric, maybe it comes out as a piece of poetry or as an act of activism or as a um, more full participation in the vocation that you already have as a person. Maybe it's just saying, I'm here and I'm not going to be forgotten. Ask ourselves, how am I listening deeply to the people around me and the voices that God is speaking into this place? Um, certainly through music and other ways. Um, continue to ask ourselves those things, to approach worship with intention. If we continue to show up on Sunday mornings expecting the worship team to do the work for us, not only does that play to the worst impulses of some of us musicians who love to be the ones who are the focus of things, but it actually deprives ourselves of the joy and the delight of getting to be partners, participants, and co-creators in this thing we call worship, in this thing we call church, in this thing we call peace and shalom together. Um, the image I want to close with before we pray and, and before we chant one last time and as we um, imagine is the image that came out recently of um, the black hole. Some of you have noticed that they finally were able to like, image the black hole, right? 
um, in space, something that we can't really see necessarily or experience firsthand, but through um, lots and lots of algorithms and science and looking at all the different research and all the different work that all sorts of different people did, they're finally able to come up with a better hypothetical picture of what a black hole might look like than we knew about before, right? We all celebrate it because it looks freaking awesome, right? It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's this... And the thing is, it's a black hole, which means it's a thing that would completely crush and destroy and obliterate us if we ever came close to it, right? I think music in the church is a mirror image of that. That each of us has an algorithm, an experience of that cosmic vibration that God used to create the world and said, let there be light. And most importantly, God said, this is good. We all have that original belovedness, that original goodness, that original act of God's creative and unrepentant. Um, unrepeatable act of love in your particularity that is trying to sing itself into the chorus of existence. When we pay attention to all those little algorithms around us and we bring them together understanding that they're still just a hypothesis but that we can see a lot more together than if we just focus on one or two people's algorithms, what's amazing is we start to create our own image not of the black hole but of the eternal radiance and glory and delight that God takes in God's people and in God's children. And when we become that and people see that and they come into it, you could be singing way out of key and you could have the worst singing in the world and the worst music in the world that you can imagine. But when we're singing that way, when we're striving to be that for one another, people will see the image of God's love in us singing together. Not when we're perfect, but when we're fully alive together and fully respecting that life in one another. So I want us to try to chant one more time and that will be our lead-in into communion. Um, um, So as the worship team comes up and as we prepare to celebrate communion together, I'd like us to commune together through music one more time. Be still and know that I am God. We'll sing it three times. And this time I want to challenge you. If you were someone who wasn't quite sure you wanted to try a harmony last time, try it. Um, If you were someone who's like, the movement I wanted to try during that thing was too crazy and janky, like, try it. Try listening. Let that be not necessarily about the music itself, but about that risk-taking, that courageous gift-giving in community. And as we do that, remember that what Jesus is doing in the communion is gathering many grains of wheat from the many different hills to make this one loaf. It is one piece of bread and many different pieces here, obviously. But it's this representative of the unity and diversity. Christ takes death and life, betrayal and salvation, um, crucifixion and resurrection, friendship and, um, and, and uh, estrangement, and brings it all together into this one thing. And that's what we're doing when we're making music. We're making a sacrament. We're making a communion We're making a body together, and we're making an image of God's body on earth. So we'll use this note. Be still and know that
voice was a part of that song, then you are a part of God's vibrations of love and goodness echoing into creation, seeking to make all things new, which means you are invited to the table here at Artisan. There's gluten-free bread, there's regular bread, there's wine, there's grape juice, so hopefully you find all of your dietary um, needs met. Know that um, if you consider yourself drawn to this meal, something in you is longing to be drawn even deeper into the mystery of Christ, you are welcome at the table. And if you don't feel like you can participate, no, no pressure. You may stay in your seat or you can come up with your family and receive a blessing. There'll be people in the back to pray with you if you'd like to pray with someone. There'll be music guiding us into um, this process of becoming instruments of God's music and of God's peace. So come, the table is ready. The invitation is here. And last but not least, could I have everybody stand if you are able? Um, I love that Pastor Judy for the last five weeks has forced us to receive something. So I'm going to force you to receive something. Uh, a benediction in the, in the form of song lyrics, actually, to, in keeping with um, this uh, series. You probably recognize these. So may this be our benediction today. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rains fall softly upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palms of his hands. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.